Welcome to Bit About Crypto. I'm David James, the job whisperer, and I'm also the BTC recruiter at the BTC recruiter on Twitter, if you want to find me. And once again, I'm back with my fearless, relentless partner, robo recruiter, Dave Hampton. Say something, Dave. How's it going? Hey, you changed the music, huh? Yeah, the the uh, the reviews were pretty yeah. poor on the yeah. other. No, no five star reviews on that music. Yeah, yeah. They, it's I mean, like it gave the country uh, the country music thing, like you know, yeah. losing the truck, losing the girl, Bluegrass. losing the job. Yeah, yeah it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. bad. Even though a very good friend of mine, uh, who's a famous musician, he wrote that for me as a favor. I said, "Hey, what I'm looking for is this," and he ended up giving me that. And so he kind of gave me what I was asking for, but. It's just. Is this the first time he's hearing that people don't like it? I haven't told him yet. I'm not going okay, to. Okay. Well, now he knows. Yeah. And so, <laughs> but anyhow, I uh, we appre- we appreciate you for having written that music and taking the time. Scott Underwood. Okay. So thank, thank you, Scott. Yeah. Um, anyhow, I want to just uh, talk about something, right? Because you know we talk about decentralization, and that's what makes the blockchain so special and so great. It's it, it can't be stopped. It can't be outlawed. Well, it can be outlawed, but with a lot of banning going on, with, with no efficacy, right? And I've already made my mind up. If all of a sudden they, if Elizabeth Warren says you got to pay eighty percent on your Bitcoin, then well, I just go to uh, El Salvador and give them three Bitcoin, and now guess what? I I reside there legally, right? And their price might go up. You never know. The price between, is definitely going to go between up. now and then, yeah. But I want to talk about something, right? So people think about decentralization and the fact that they, hold, hold on, I got a question for you. It's three Bitcoin because it's one hundred twenty thousand dollars, right? It's three Bitcoin because it's three Bitcoin. So what's what's the actual price of being a citizen? Well, it depends on what the price of Bitcoin is. If the price of Bitcoin is thirty, then it would be ninety. If the price is a hundred, then it'll be three hundred. If you're pricing it in dollars, oh, they're just saying three Bitcoin. Three Bitcoin. Period. So it could be three dollars a Bitcoin. Yeah, that'd be it. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. That, all right. All right. Yeah, just right. I, I wanted to make sure. Yeah. That, that, was, that that's I don't know the, if there was like a dollar in the okay in their it. bylaws. But there's an article that recently came out that says former Ethereum developer Virgil Griffith arrested for signing into his Coinbase account. All right. Uh-oh. And so what did that According to reports from Interpress, former Ethereum developer Virgil Griffith has violated the terms of his bail and has been taken into custody. According to the reports of the U.S. Attorney's Office, revoked Griffith's bond because he allegedly tried to access his crypto exchange account. Now, the thing about this guy, he was charged in November 2019 by the Southern District of New York. And as we all know, the Southern District of New York is the most powerful law enforcement put you in Guantanamo entity on the planet. And he's alleged of assisting North Korea in evading sanctions. Right. But this is the important thing. When people say, hey, crypto is so great, I want to actually... um, I want to have some Bitcoin. Or I want to have some, and what they ninety nine percent of the people do is they open up an exchange. Yeah, you, know, you know, Gemini, Kraken, Binance, Swan. Well, well yeah, uh, Swan Bitcoin. What, what, Swan what, Coin or what? what the <laughs> yeah, Swan Bitcoin. It, that that's not exactly an exchange, but uh, that's just a place to to buy it. And so, what ends up happening? Or um, Coinbase, <clears throat> and now. The, the government can find out that he accessed his coins. Now, apparently they're saying that the mother did it. And that's what I'd say, too, if, because hey, he was taken back to jail. But the point about this is if he, in fact, had his coins uh, self-custody in a, in a hardware wallet, he could have gone on and did whatever he wanted. And no authority would have known about it. 
right? And no authority could have stopped it. And certainly they couldn't have uh, linked that to him. <clears throat> and the reason that's so important, David, <clears throat> is because our guest today, he actually had a very, I, I hope he's going to talk about it, an experience where he actually had some coins on an exchange back when exchanges weren't what they were today. And the best I can say is, is that it's a shameful, sad tale, as he's going to say what happened on that exchange. Um, however, um, but before we go on, I just want to say thank you to all the people that have said the nice comments from Twitter. Uh, the love is overwhelming. I want to remind you, neither David nor myself will say to you in the comment sections that you need to send us money, send us crypto. We don't have any telegram things going on. Those are all scams, all right? Anybody who goes and gives you a comment has nothing to do with us, okay? So David James and David Hampton will never ask you for money <clears throat> unless you want to hire somebody from us. <laughs> and that's a whole different situation. Indeed. So I just want to take, talk to you about that. So um, I was recently I was at a DeFi conference right? Uh, a global DeFi conference. And I got to meet a lot of people. I got to meet some buyers. I got to meet some sellers. And the gentleman actually who's coming on, he actually has been blockchain for quite a while. And uh, with no further ado, I've got his CV right here, but I'm going to let him talk about himself. And he's kind of a humble guy, but I think we're going to get some greatness out of him today. And so with no further ado, Jeff Turner, Thank you so much for taking the time to come on with us today. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. I. Uh, I. And once again, because we've uh, zoomed already, and isn't that the great thing about COVID that forced everybody to start zooming and stop calling, right? Yeah. And, exactly. And that's beautiful Balboa behind you, Newport. Um. I, yeah. I think that's uh, the peninsula in Newport behind me. Yeah. yeah. Just oh yeah, going just over the harbor in Balboa. Yeah, that's so, my that's my background. That's a picture out my window, actually. So that's you. That's your real. Wow, that's nice. That's how you. Yeah, I, I I just moved down here about eight nine months ago from West Hollywood, and uh, we're really enjoying it down here. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, we, David and I also live very close to the water in northern San Diego County ourselves. So. So for the audience, tell us a little bit about you, like, you know, where you grew up. Uh, sh sure. I, uh, I grew up in California and Pennsylvania. Um, when I was a kid, I think it was 14 years old. We moved from uh, Northern California, Silicon Valley, Los Gatos. Uh, my dad had worked for Hewlett Packard and we moved out to the East Coast because he took a job transfer. I wound up going to college for a few years there. Um, first studying physics, but then I really got into computer science and computer engineering, moved back to California on my own as I was trying to get into Berkeley, but the program wasn't even accepting applicants at the time because I wanted to be a computer engineer. And so I wound up then taking um, a, a, a position in uh, computer engineering uh, in, at Case Western uh, University, Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. And uh, I got a computer engineering degree from there, uh, went on to uh, do hardware and software design at a school for Hewlett Packard, uh, gradually evolved out of that, kind of moved up the management chain. Uh, I was an executive at uh, a company called Cisco Systems at Novell and then Cisco Systems later, and then went out and started my own company. I was actually the, the guy that was on the opposite end of net neutrality, if people know what that's all about. Uh, Talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah. So net neutrality was this notion that all packets should be treated equally over the Internet. 
And that is there shouldn't be any uh, differentiation and service and quality of service. And I'd come up with a technical uh, approach to dealing with that issue and getting intercarrier services to work with an out-of-band communications method so that we could actually deliver good quality of service across the internet and then have um, uh, individuals, either uh, uh, private consumers or companies themselves be capable of paying for that premium service. Uh, I wound up uh, going up against the likes of, well, at the end of it, it turned out to be Al Gore and Eric Schmidt and uh, Reed Hastings and all the people that we now call the the fangs, or I call them the math mong. That's the group of companies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, it's so Microsoft, Reed Hastings, Apple, Book, yeah, LinkedIn, yeah, LinkedIn, Netflix, Apple, yeah, Facebook, uh, MindGeek. Uh, uh, did I say Facebook already? Amazon, Netflix, and Google. You should say so, Facebook's twice. They have that much influence. You should say them twice. Mong, yeah, MAF, MAF. So F is the the Facebook ones. But anyway, all those companies uh, basically tried to create what's what we would call today an oligopsony. That is, they wanted to be the ones that would be the exclusive bandwidth buyers. And they were very successful with their regulatory approach. I raised a fair amount of money to do a tech startup called Numetra and Interstream. And um, anyway, long story short, the, the whole thing failed primarily due to regulatory issues. What year was um, this? What year was this? That was roughly from I started the company. I started Interstream in 2002. And the whole thing got disbanded around 2013, effectively. Uh, the FCC... And the so that um, was the Bush the, Obama years. I've tried. That's important. It was. Thing. It was. You could. You could. You could lay it on the Bush administration and most certainly the Obama administration. There was heavy, heavy lobbying that went on. In fact, uh, we raised about four million dollars. I think I estimated that we spent like one and a half million dollars doing lobbying work instead of doing engineering work. Wow. Um, because we we had to <laughs> uh, to fight this. Um, and yeah, I went through a large percentage of my own net worth to do this. Um, basically all of it at, at the end of it. And then anyway, long story short, um, it's probably best that uh, I wasn't successful with what we were doing because we also had this notion in our business plans called a digital bearer instrument. So you're going to, you're going to talk about the blessing of not being successful now, right? Oh yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, and then, and, and, and we had this idea of doing a digital bearer instrument, which what we, is today what we call cryptocurrency. Uh, but this was back in 2005, 2006. I was following the likes of Nick Szabo and others uh, to try to figure out how we could create a, a decentralized uh, settlement system for paying for that that bandwidth. Anyway, long story short, um, the uh, the that all failed. But then blockchains came along with Satoshi Nakamoto and Bitcoin. And I didn't actually learn about that technology. I guess I'd heard about it, but I didn't really uh, look into it deeply until 2011. And then at that point, um, I uh, wasn't really sold on it in 2011. It was really 2012 when I, I decided that, uh, boy, this was really a fundamental solution to the Byzantine generals problem. It's a, it's a hard technical problem in computer science. And I didn't realize the significance and scalability of that solution probably until 2012. At that point, then I started mining Litecoin and then converting it to Bitcoin on an exchange called uh, BTCE, uh, which later turns out to be all of our nemesis. The guy that was running that is the one who's accused or I don't know if he's accused or convicted now of basically stealing all of the Bitcoin that was on a on the first exchange known as Mt. Gox. And that's actually where I was putting all my Bitcoin 
uh, that I converted from Litecoin to Bitcoin. Now, for our audience, so anyway, for our audience, just go back, go back to, in time. This and, is in. Yeah, uh, t- okay, talk about so how 20, that worked. I think in 2011, uh, Mt. Gox came out and it, it allowed you to buy Bitcoin. I think it was about a nickel uh, per Bitcoin back wow. then. And but you had to do it was uh, Mt. Gox was based out of Japan, so you had to tr- do a wire transfer in, buy the Bitcoin, and get it back. The other way you could you could buy and sell Bitcoin was to find somebody uh, through something uh, like a website or some or chat cash forum. for cash and, for coins where you had to deposit the cash. That, yeah, that's how I, I mean, got it. I, yeah, yeah, I had a, a friend. Uh, I'll never forget this. Uh, she needed some uh, cash, and I didn't want to pay the fees with Western Union. I think this was in. I'm guessing this was 2014. She needed $400. And so I sent her 400 bucks in Bitcoin back in New York. And she got cash for the Bitcoin at the Starbucks through something called local Bitcoins. Right. And, um, you know, that $400 is now worth several hundred thousand dollars today. Um, wow. But that's that was the um, that was uh, the genesis of uh, my um, exploration of the Bitcoin. And then it was in 2014. 14, I believe. I have to check the dates. But around there, I, I remember seeing an email saying that Mt. Gox had been hacked. And shortly thereafter, I discovered that all the Bitcoin I had up there uh, was lost. I'm not real um, sullen about this for the simple reason that I probably, if I accumulated my 20K or so of Bitcoin, I probably would have just done a wire transfer and wound up spending it. Because I never, I, I mean, to be to be perfectly objective about this, I never thought that uh, we'd see thirty or forty thousand dollar Bitcoin like we do today. But now I'm very, uh, I'm very positive on it. I think it's going to just keep going up. Yeah, let, let, let's just stop and talk about that. I, I you know, I, I consider myself an OG, you know, original gangster when it comes to Bitcoin. I consider you an OG, and and just for the audience, an OG is somebody who really got into Bitcoin loyally way before the 2017, hey, what's this Bitcoin thing, right? And so, like uh, <clears throat> Jeff said, he's 2011. That's his genesis to Bitcoin, even though he was doing things of, like, of that nature that's now called cryptocurrency way before then. Right. So he's he's like the Mac Daddy of OGs, if you want to just keep it real like that. And I, I got in at, at, at 2013. And I don't know anybody who's really 2014 who didn't, who didn't like sell it at one time. I'll tell, I'll tell you for me where I got sure. really scared was in 2017 when it was going up. And then we had the, the, the Bitcoin civil war. And for those of you who are listening, who are learning right. the purpose of this channel is for people can actually learn more about cryptocurrency in from, from experts that David and I select Jeff being one of them. And there was this thing called, there are forks in the chain, right? And Jeff can explain forks better than I can. And there are soft forks and there are hard forks. And the hard fork, which is now Bitcoin Cash, and Roger Ver, you know, and Satoshi's vision, that I, I literally, I didn't think Bitcoin was going to survive. I didn't. I didn't think it was going to survive. And so, so, and I know another guy, there's a, there's a Twitter feed going around that says, man, I, uh, I bought Bitcoin for five cents and I sold it. He had like 1,400 of them and he sold them for like $1.60. Right? And he's like, right. bonus, like I really scored. And it's like, he's got to be kicking himself now. But can you, can you talk about, uh, about that, like forks? Explain that to our audience. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, in essence, there, 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 was a, uh, there was a long um, civil war, if you will, within the Bitcoin community. 
And the primary issue regarding that was the size of the blocks. Uh, the BSV or Bitcoin Satoshi Vision and Bitcoin Cash BCH folks, uh, by the way, and they were, they were originally part of one of the original forks. And there's several other forks out there that I can't name off the top of my head, but those were the major ones. And in essence, what happened is they were they were battling uh, over a technical issue, and that was how large the block size should be um, going forward. And the BTC people uh, ultimately won out with uh, where we are today with the regular old BTC Bitcoin. But the uh, other uh, group, uh, the Bitcoin Cash group, um, basically forked the project because Bitcoin is an open source project. Anybody can come along and take and take the original code and go off and create their own blockchain. Now, they may not be able to go off and create their own network around it because there's a network of uh, mining devices and what are called full nodes that still uh, maintain and synchronize the state of the chain. And that's really where the core value is. And that's why BTC itself was able to uh, retain its core value because it had a, most of the miners and all the, the core nodes behind it. So there was a community there uh, that supported BTC uh, versus, say, BCH. So, uh, and then there was another fork between BCH and BSV when that group split. So these are normal occurrences. Uh, this is the way open source software works. People don't like something with the way one community is doing it, and they can go off and create something new. Well, this is a perfect, you're the perfect guest. And I, I've been thinking about this since I knew you were coming on. And I... I want to explain how the blockchain really is perfect democracy, right? It's anonymous or pseudonymous democracy. And so what ends up happening is if there is an initiation, hey, we think the chain should be this, whatever this is, X, this is the chain, then each person who's running their own node has a vote or a minor. Can you, can you talk right. for the audience and explain that to them in layman's terms? Well, yeah. So there, there's actually, that's called the consensus algorithms, I, I think you're referring to, where yep. each of the individual... Um, um, mining nodes like Taproot uh, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tap Taproot is going to be doing something significant, especially when it comes to like the Lightning Network. But but the way that um, uh, the consensus algorithms work is that uh, let's let's take Bitcoin first, and we should probably talk about Ethereum as well. Uh, but Bitcoin uh, uses something called a proof of work algorithm. And back in the day, there was Litecoin that came out in parallel with Bitcoin. And it also used proof of work, except Litecoin used what's called a memory bound proof of work, while Bitcoin used a, um, a compute bound form of proof of work. Basically, what that means is that the Bitcoin nodes, the Bitcoin mining uh, systems, they have to go off and figure out this hard uh, puzzle problem. And then whoever figures out that puzzle problem first wins, and then the log longest chain wins using the uh, compute-bound proof-of-work algorithm. And this is Litecoin, mining. And this is mining. This is mining. And right. then Litecoin basically came up with its own algorithm, which was designed to be uh, memory-bound. So it was the idea was that you wouldn't be able to have to get these special-purpose chips uh, to uh, do your mining. You could use ordinary computing. That's since turned out not to be quite the case. Uh, but, uh, but Litecoin had its own proof-of-work alg algorithm as well using the, the memory-bound approach. Uh, Ethereum came along, let's see, it will be six years ago this fall, and they adopted the proof-of-work approach, um, and they're now going to be making a transition to what's called proof-of-stake. And proof-of-stake is basically uh, where a set of validators stake some coin, and then they get penalized if they didn't properly validate the blockchain. 
And the, the view is that there's now a battle between proof of stake versus proof of work as Ethereum will be adopting this likely next year. So there's a, and, but there's a lot of also people in the community, in the crypto community uh, that say proof of stake is still not proven yet. It's not economically or, or uh, security wise been proven uh, to be the superior method for reaching consensus. And all these different consensus algorithms, there's tons of them. There's lots of research going on in the academic community and different commercial groups uh, doing this stuff. Uh, and they, they all are, are uh, I think we're going to find in the next several years, we'll get a convergence around one or, or just a few of these uh, consensus algorithms. I'm guessing it will probably be um, what will be an evolved Version, version of proof of work called network bound proof of work, which doesn't have all the high energy requirements uh, that the compute and memory bound versions do. Let's talk about that because I believe this just, a, I can't back this up with any fact. It's just a belief. Okay. Just from, you know, five and a half decades of being on the planet and observing things. And what I have seen is, is that there's a lot of disinformation uh, against Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And the reason for that specifically is I don't believe any central government is okay with something that's a, a monetary exchange that they can't control. And so I believe that this whole hype that Bitcoin takes too much energy, uh, it's like, well, what about fossil fuel to power all these electric mm -hmm. cars? And so I would really appreciate, I'm so glad you're here. I've been waiting for you, Jeff, uh, for you to actually talk to the listeners about what what actually what was true. Even though what you're talking about is really important, talk about how this this is circulating and what's really going on as far as the energy pull and the environment. Yeah, well, I, I mean, okay, so with a um, a compute bound proof of work al algorithm like Bitcoin, and by the way, Bitcoin Cash, uh, BSV, Bitcoin Satoshi Vision. They use the same part, types of algorithms, and you can check out and see what the, what's called the hashing rate, which is the amount of compute power that's being used for these things. That all consumes energy, but that energy is used to secure the network. Uh, and I, I heard a really good analog the other day. If you consider how much energy and effort and manpower and money is spent to secure the gold in Fort Knox or some other traditional monetary system, you roughly could compare that energy usage to all the efforts that go behind creating any form of money. Now, today we don't have gold-backed um, uh, we don't have gold-backed uh, 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 money a monetary system anymore. We have a debt-based monetary system uh, for the last fifty or so years. But under the current new uh, under the current system, uh, we don't have discipline like you do with Bitcoin. The governments can just kind of print at will, and we're seeing that right now with the economic malaise that we seem to be facing worldwide. And as such, um, you've got to really compare the amount of energy or the amount of electricity that's going in to creating a new and uh, superior money system that does have that discipline versus the current system, which does not have any discipline, but has, is fraught with a whole bunch of other uh, security issues, all of which we know about with the Federal Reserve and not, the Federal Reserve not even having the ability Hold on. to tell this, you where all the bonds are purchased. This is a so. perfect time. And by the way, you're speaking our love language right here. George, can you zoom in? I want to show our guest this. All right. Do you see, do you, can you see what that is, Jeff? I'm, what is it, a silver note? I yeah, can't tell. Yeah, it's the, it's the 100 
trillion dollar bill. Oh, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, and I, and I tell everybody, okay, well, thanks, George. I I I missed the mark there. Uh, it it literally it buys three eggs. I I, I need one of those. I need to get something <laughs> just like that. Yeah, I got one. Because I, I I I run across a bunch of people. You're probably familiar with them. Uh, mon- modern monetary theory, especially mm-hmm. in uh, things like Clubhouse. Yeah, MMT. Just, you're I, talking I, about drug. Yeah, Cla- MMT. Klaus Schwab and, and the, the the Davos crowd and the elites who are going to run everything for us and how oh, us. I, Am yeah, I going too I, deep? I don't know about them pushing MMT, but I I, I know about uh, what's her name, uh, Stephanie Kelton and yeah. those are um, those those guys who are the theorists behind it. But yeah. you know, there's a big battle in the central um, uh, economic circles, the centralized economic circle circles now between. Oh, well, we just need MMT. Are you talking about like the ECB, the European Central Bank? And are you talking about? The, the, well, the, I'm talking about the, the whole yes, that and the whole move toward uh, central bank digital currency right. too. Talk, preach, preach. Talk about it. You're speaking my love language. I'm not. Gonna, um, I'm well, like at yeah, a rock but, concert right now with you talking. Go ahead. There's a whole bunch of resources out there in the, in the internet. People can dig into these in more detail. But there's this notion that uh, central banks should be creating the, their own digital currency for each of the nation states or economies, and maybe this will ultimately result result in some sort of world currency. But uh, the the idea is that uh, these uh, these central banks can then uh, affect monetary policy by uh, at will moving money from one party to another. Uh, making it so that uh, you they can effectively control the entire monetary system on the planet. Yeah, I, and, and that's the exact opposite of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. I, I want to speak about that for our audience right here, right? Because to under so the title of the, the show is "Bit About Crypto," and to understand cryptocurrency, you have to understand you know necessity is the mother of all invention, and that's why cryptocurrency is here, and that's why adoption is actually right. happening. And so what we have to do is we have to talk about money and. I want everybody to understand if you have $100,000 in a bank account or even under your mattress in cash, right? And you said, there's my $100,000 and I'm going to save it. And you need to realize in the last 18 months, 30% of all the cash in the history of the world has been printed. So that means your $100,000 is only worth $70,000 because of mass, mass, mass overprinting. Right. And so they're they're trying to sell this. I, I didn't know we were going to go here, but I'm really glad we're here. They're trying to sell this idea about the CBDC, the central bank digital currency. <clears throat> and I, I'm, I'm going to go really deep on this, but we're going to talk about it together. The what happened was, is that the a lot of the mining of Bitcoin was happening in China. And this is for my for our listeners It was happening in China. And China knows that the, the, the dollar Actually, we're we're 5% of the U.S. of of the world population, but we're 88% of the monetary dominance with the U.S. dollar. And what China did is they really they evacuated, obliterated, eviscerated all the miners in China. Right. And now that's why the hash rate is down. And they're uh, they're 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 taking their mining rigs and they're going to Kazakhstan or Virginia or wherever they, they can go. That's why the price is low right now. But anyhow, but continuing on. And the reason they're doing this is because China is the first country to actually put its own central bank digital currency, the digital yuan. And and I knew this is exactly how it was going to happen. This is how they're going to try and roll it out in America. They're going to actually give everybody this new digital wallet. And they're going to say to you, here's 5,000 free dollars if you use this digital wallet. Who's not going to take 5,000 free dollars? I'll take it. 
I, I, I absolutely will take it. But and, and what China is trying to do is they're trying to get mass adoption on this so they can front run the dollar. But the reason the central bank digital currency is so detrimental and it's so dangerous is people can know what you're spending who you're spending it with. They can say, oh, you're not allowed to actually fly on a plane, so you can't fly it on an airline. And, and it gets more than, than socioeconomic as far as the ideology. And this isn't an apolitical show about anything other than the politics of, of cryptocurrency being, being good and better for humanity. But now what they can say is, look, you're a certain marginalized race, so I'm going to take from you this race, and I'm going to give it to that race, or if you don't spend it on time, and it's it's an absolute disaster, and it's going to cause anarchy. That's my editorial. Well, yeah. Go ahead to talk about sure. it. And you've got yeah, yeah, you've got the social credit system in China, which many of us have heard about. Talk that about effectively, it. Yeah, that effectively censors people and it restricts uh, their capabilities, and even buying a a train ticket to get on public transportation. Talk in more detail so, for my um, for my listeners. About yeah, that. so I I think there's a, there's an incredible danger with these CBDCs. That we could, we were handing over the same kind of authoritarian control to our pseudo or quasi-governmental entities uh, to do the same thing in places like the in, in the West, in the U.S. or Europe, etc. So the alternative to that is Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Uh, if we, as long as we can maintain uh, control and sovereignty, individual sovereignty, sovereignty, uh, sovereignty excuse me then we should be able uh, to uh, keep that kind of authoritarianism from creeping mm -hmm. into our system. We also have to remember that uh, from a court standpoint and from an evolutionary standpoint, we never agreed, we the U.S., American people, never agreed to go off a gold and silver standard. This was all effectively done complicitly by, with the, by, uh, the legal system. Was it an executive order? Didn't, didn't, well, there was uh, there was FDR's executive order, order, which banned the ownership of gold back in 1933, I think it was. Yeah. yeah and then but then uh, in 1971, when Nixon closed the gold window, where he effectively took the money system uh, off the gold standard and allowed a, allowed us to print at will through the Federal Reserve. That was never explicitly recognized uh, for, uh, you know, our constitutional edict. So. I think that the, the challenge we're facing as a society really is that uh, we've got all these extra constitutional and extra legal authorities that have been established at the global level that have prevented us from uh, having sound money. And, and the nice thing about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, or I should say cryptocurrencies in general, is that they're not debt-based money systems. They're community-based money. Uh, to quote Vitalik Buterin, the guy who created Ethereum, he says, you know, money is just nothing more than a community is, excuse me, a community defines money and that community decides how that money can be spent and used. So therefore, um, you know, what you also have to, I think, recognize is that we've got superior forms of money with cryptocurrency. Um, I, going back to my history, one of the guys I uh, was one of my teachers back in about eight years ago, I think it was, he taught a class out of Stanford called Startup Engineering. And this is the early Coinbase APIs. I'm a, I'm a software developer, computer engineer type. And um, he basically took us through why Bitcoin was going to be big way back when. And he likes to talk about how there's basically three forms of capitalism that are emerging in the world. Or perhaps you could say two forms of cronyism and one form of capitalism. <laughs> there we go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the, as he calls it, the woke cronyism or capitalism of the West, which we're we're seeing right now. Right. I mean, you can you can roll the CBDCs and 
the WEF and all that stuff, all under that uh, woke capitalist or woke cronyist uh, uh, branch. And then you've got the um, uh, then you've got the fascist uh, cronyism of China, and and we just talked about that with their CBDCs and their social credit system. That's a different form of capitalism. And then you've got this new form of crypto capitalism that's emerging. And uh, all the brain power and money uh, that used to be out of Silicon Valley, I think Silicon Valley's you know pretty much disintegrated in the last 10 years because of that wokeism that's uh, taken yeah, it's, it over. It's part of the media, part of the, the liberal establishment of uh, right well the- and, P- and peter peter Thiel likes to talk about the diaspora that have come out of uh silicon valley i was originally a silicon valley person i moved down to, to southern california i'm ultimately i think going to wind up in wyoming but um, same same yeah i i, I what the, do i the, talk the about why talk about why wyoming yeah. sorry for well, they, 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 yeah yeah so uh wyoming's by far maybe in the world now the best crypto jurisdiction right. in the world so if you're starting crypto businesses doing crypto work you probably want to be based there. There's a few other jurisdictions in the world, Singapore, Switzerland, Caymans, et cetera, that are quite good. But hopefully we retain uh, that crypto capitalist spirit here in the U.S. Mm. And I, I think states like Wyoming are, are on the forefront there. I'm sorry, um, but keep but going it, where you were. That was just so good. Yeah, sorry. I want to go back just a, a moment to the different types of types of capitalism. And this is my synthesis, not from Balaji Srinivasan, the guy that taught that startup engineering course. But he talks about those three different kinds of capitalism today. But we have to take a step back, I think, and realize that we're basically now going into our third wave of capitalism. The first wave of capitalism was when John Dee and Queen Elizabeth I sailed their ships offshore to create um, colonies. And this uh, colonial form of capitalism through the Joint Stock Corporation basically provide funding mechanisms and a means by which they could... uh, Create a uh, create ca- or excuse me form uh, companies that allowed other investor participants to to uh, uh, establish these companies uh, throughout the uh, British Empire or what uh, what is then I think they termed that the British Empire back then and then uh, the second wave of capitalism was basically with the uh, the Buttonwood Tree Agreement uh, or uh, maybe a fictitious agreement where they basically put those joint stock corporations into equities and allowed you to trade them under the buttonwood tree in Manhattan, which is now modern day Wall Street. We're now going into a third wave of capitalism, which uh, which I think is going to be broadly referred to as crypto capitalism now, where you have markets that are being traded 24 by 7. And you have, rather than equity in a joint stock corporation that's being traded uh, inside on the floor of a stock exchange like you've had with the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange, you have it now established inside cryptocurrencies. And the reason that we this new form of capitalism is more powerful than the previous wave is that you have a different form of money. It's now neo-Ricardian money. There was a guy named Ricardo back in the 1800s who said he basically defined money as a unit of account, a medium of exchange, and a store of value. Now, today, you can make smart money. You can make programmable money. And with that programmable or smart money, you can do other things like it. This is really what Ethereum has been about for the last six years. Uh, You can take and uh, do what's called a smart contract with it. And uh, there was the whole, whole token craze. A good example of this was the ICO craze from about four years ago, where somebody could come along, take a software, an open source software project, create a token for it, define the community around it and how that token would be circulated and used. 
and then they could basically fund a completely new uh, technology as a result. And that is very different from a corporatist style of capitalism, which we have today, which I think has resulted in this woke cronyism, as we're referring to it now. And it's, it's changing and evolving to a more community-based form of capitalism, where you define these communities around these standards and these projects that then have a completely new means by which they can raise capital. It allows us to crowdsource capital in a, complete, in a completely different way. And with that programmable or smart contract money, uh, we can do all kinds of new things. There's also things like uh, something known as zero knowledge proofs, where um, talking about you know, how governments can be more friendly toward this, they can actually um, ensure and, make and, and, and uh, be certain that there's compliance within a, uh, a cryptocurrency wallet without actually having to reveal the private information around that. So as an example, they can ensure that there's tax compliance without the individual who controls those things uh, actually having to reveal all the details and data around their cryptocurrency. So that's all gonna be coming toward us in the next, I'd say five years or so. And we're really in a truly revolutionary moment because as that begins to take hold, then we, and we need to have faith around it, this new type of capitalism is gonna create a much better system for everybody worldwide. What we have to be concerned about is those that are trying to fight it and uh, resist it rather than moving us all forward and creating a better system. For and everyone. I wanna talk about that right now because I've always said this, that everybody was all about, you know, the what's good for the people, what's good for the people. And then Uber came, right? And Uber did to taxis what Bitcoin is now doing to fiat currency. It really, it's so right. disruptive. <clears throat> and, right. and since you brought that up, you know, I, I have a lot of opinions on, you know, I don't listen to what people are saying. I watch what people are doing. And I want you to talk about how you think the resistance is coming. Specifically, Christine Lagarde from the uh, European Central Bank and Janet Yellen uh, from the Treasury of the United States and Jerome Powell from the, uh, <coughs> the, Federal, the Reserve. Federal Reserve. Thank you, David. <laughs> Thank you. My young prodigy right there. Uh, yeah. And I so so talk about. I want to hear. Yeah, about well, I'm, I'm going to just uh, I'm going to kind of quote Balaji Srinivasan on this because I think he has a really good uh, uh, can you say that again? view on these things. Balaji Srinivasan, he's the former CTO for Coinbase, and he was that teacher I referred to back at Stanford in the day uh, uh, that happened to teach me a lot of this stuff uh, around cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin uh, eight years ago or so. But anyway, um, as he likes to, to point out, is that there's going to be those governments and societies that try to resist this transition and then those that take advantage of it. And uh, he feels, as I do, that it's the developing world that will get the most benefit from this. And it's probably uh, the East and West that are going to probably That's right. resist it the most. And the reason for that, in large part, is you've got entrenched interests like the central banks and the existing financial system who don't want to see this come to the fore. Uh, the simple reason for that is they um, they have centralized control through things like the Federal Reserve and through Wall Street and the, and the regulatory structures that have all been established over the many years uh, that support their institutions and support their uh, uh, their profit motives. And, and so, pork belly ideology, right? The keeps, yeah, keeps and, it and, I mean, we, we, all the standard swampy stuff that we all know about and I think are very familiar with. Meanwhile, you've got this decentralization movement coming along that I think will ultimately rescue the world. The problem, I think, I mean, let's take an example. Uh, 
a couple of days ago, the EU announced, uh, there were some uh, groups within the EU that announced that they were going to ban uh, anonymous crypto wallets. Now, I don't know how they're going to enforce this. I have no idea how that's even feasible to do. But that's a great example of a government or government entities trying to resist crypto capitalism versus enforcing it. Uh, they just as easily could have said that, that was something that was supportive and said, listen, if you register your crypto wallets with our tax authorities, what we're going to do is uh, make sure that you don't have to pay any penalties if you make a mistake on your tax return uh, for any uh, monies that are circulating through those uh, wallet addresses. They could have then encouraged transparency with the public adopting crypto capitalism rather than trying to fight the decentralization movement altogether. And I think that's the fundamental issue that we're facing. We need to change policymakers and officials' minds and get them to understand that this corporatist capitalism, uh, capitalistic system that we're currently under is not the one that we need moving forward. We need a decentralized community-based approach. And that's ultimately what cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology is bringing us. So I have the guy that got me into Bitcoin. We call him Uncle Jim. And... Uh, Basically, he, he lives in the Midwest, and he, for the longest time, he's the only guy I could call to talk about Bitcoin. Could, who else could I talk, right? Because he's the only one that can hear the voices in my head, if that makes any sense, right? And uh -huh. I used to say to him <clears throat> that if they outlaw Bitcoin or overtax Bitcoin, then there'll be some, some ruler, some Idi Amin, Muammar Gaddafi, some type of you know, obscure African dictator who's going to say, come on, spend your Bitcoin here. And what will end up happening is before you know it, 10 years later, all the advents of technology and health and people living to 150 are going to be where all this innovation was drawn to. And <clears throat> I, I've heard people say, well, Bitcoin needs institutional adoption to be successful. And I, I don't agree with that. Yes, it needs it. But that is not the only thing that makes the soup. What I've always said is poverty. Poverty embracing Bitcoin is the thing that's going to take it stratospheric. And <clears throat> the thing about this whole El Salvador thing that happened right. months ago, it's not so much that uh, a company, a company, a, they're, they're, yeah, there they're, they're are companies that are bigger than the country of El Salvador, right? That the <clears throat> country of El Salvador and its, you know, five, six, seven million people population really is nothing. What's so significant about that is 22% of their gross domestic product is remittances, where people come to the United States, North America, the EU, wherever they go, right. and they send the money back. And what ends up happening is all of a sudden they say to their employers, hey, I need you to pay me in Bitcoin. And now someone who's a CEO of a corporation who has like somebody working domestically for them or, or whatever role they have is going to say, well, what's this Bitcoin thing? And that's the spider web effect of it. So I, I agree with you, and it's funny because we haven't spoken about this, and you're the first. I agree that these, these emerging markets or these developing nations that embrace Bitcoin, are it's going to be the whole – I believe Bitcoin is going to be the biggest transfer of wealth in the history of the world. And I'm not just talking like from, from your stock portfolio to mine. I'm talking about the things we're talking about right here. And I'm getting I'm, – David, I'm getting a little excited. No, I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> Could not tell. I'm getting excited. So anyhow – um, I'm going to stop now to make sure that I give you a good plug. So 
We're recruiters. I'm a recruiter. Are you a recruiter? Indeed. You're the robo-recruiter. That's right. right? And I'm the job whisperer. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting uh, Jeff Turner at the uh, DeFi Expo. And what I was doing is I was looking for people who had projects and people who actually were able to make themselves available for projects, candidates, hiring authorities. And Jeff, I wanted to give you the opportunity to speak about your services and how people could contact you. Yeah, you, uh, sure. Yeah, can you do that right yeah, now? Yeah, I mean, you, you can. Yeah, you can reach me on LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. Um, uh, all my contact information is actually on one of the links there on Shakti Crypto. Uh, just to take a little step back, um, I have uh, got a small software engineering team uh, that does uh, Solidity, JavaScript, TypeScript programming, and we uh, can develop for blockchains as well as more traditional JavaScript projects. Our specialties are Solidity. And uh, now we're moving into something called Dino.js. Um, uh, I've got I've put together a bunch of open source uh, projects, one of which is that Shakti crypto site. Uh, what we're working on there, and if people would uh, give that a visit, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, we've got a set of charities that we're setting up uh, primarily right now with West Africa, but this could go anywhere else in the developing world. And we have some worthy charities there that accept crypto uh, for charitable contributions. We're currently, just to be with full transparency in mind, we're currently waiting to get an IRS designation so that you can get a donation receipt if, say, you're a U.S. citizen and you want to contribute Bitcoin or Ethereum or one of the other cryptos that's uh, up there for the charities. The basic idea behind this is to, just like with El Salvador, establish a charitable contribution network using crypto <clears throat> Uh, and in particular, we're focused on something called Lightning Bitcoin, which is a faster uh, and potentially better payment system uh, leveraging Bitcoin. Um, and so we're setting up a payment infrastructure, uh, working with governments in West Africa to do that so that we can ultimately get the uh, charitable contributions to the developing world in a meaningful way and cut out, as you were just pointing out with like remittances in El Salvador, cut out the middlemen so uh, those uh, those huge cuts are, are, are not coming out just in doing the money transfers. Plus, we can then make the charities much more transparent because they're on the blockchain and you have full transparency with how the monies are being uh, spent and who they're going to. Yeah, and just, just so. to put into perspective, the United Way and the Red Cross, after 9-11, the donations went up by, I think, uh, like 50x. It was just incredible. Right. And they were just so efficient in the way they disseminated money that after spending 91% of all the money taken in on administrative costs, they were actually able to actually get nine cents out of every dollar donated to the people that exactly. really needed it. So thank God for those charities. I don't know where we'd be without well, them. And, and this, this can go right back to our earlier conversation <clears throat> around um, uh, institutional failures. I think we're seeing systemic institutional failures across the board, whether it be our government organizations, uh, tra traditional um, NGOs like the one you're just mentioning there. Uh, we don't the 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 systems themselves are are. It's becoming apparent that they're rotting from within, and a lot of this is just due to uh, what we were talking about earlier with corporatism, government, finance. And it's just a, an unholy alliance that is producing the malaise that we currently are facing. So we need better, We need to start from the ground up and start over and build better institutions from the get-go. And uh, this is our, I mean, I'm just a lowly computer engineer with a very small team. Uh, this is our attempt at making things better. 
with Lightning Bitcoin. Yeah, I don't think you're lowly at all. I think you know you and I are gathering and, and we're getting momentum and steam. But I want to say something to our audience. If you're if you're listening to to Mr. Turner talk about uh, his charity and you're thinking, God, I really want to donate, but I don't know how to do the Bitcoin thing. Go to Strike. Take the Strike app. You can yeah. go down and what 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 the strike and I, look I'm not a proponent I don't get paid I'm not endorsing nor opposing any entity or cause but you can download Strike and you can take your cash right out of your bank account and they'll convert it to Bitcoin and they'll get it to the charity so you're welcome yeah uh, you can do that and we're setting up PayPal as well so you can use a traditional method but that takes a much larger cut as I'm sure people are aware. Yeah. Um, the other, the other one, by the way, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not receiving any financial reward for this plug, but I am going to plug another really easy to use uh, app called Exodus. Preach. You can actually, yeah, you can actually use Apple Pay to buy your Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies with it. I, I think that and Strike are the two easiest wallets that I've found so far. So um, either one of those is a great way to just get in, and for people's own personal uh, use so that they can get in and start uh, whole, uh, dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin. That's a great way for them to go. Swan, 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 kind of Swan. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's, I haven't. I actually haven't personally used that one. I don't know that one. So but I, I hear a lot about it. I want to just real quick. Uh, just we'd like to hear a word from our sponsors, which is me and David. Right. We had this, this podcast blockchainrecruiters.net is 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 uh, sponsored by blockchainrecruiters.net. And I don't have much this week. I've got a community manager. I've got a crypto software engineer and I've got a so I've got two candidates for those jobs in crypto. And then I the only search I have is a business intelligence analyst. So I guess okay. uh, I'm not keeping up with you. Let me oh. guess. Let me guess. You've got a great full stack engineer don't you i do <laughs> actually i do yeah i mean it's uh it's easy to it's easy to find me when they when they know where to find me yeah that's right you're the full stack guy so, what else you got uh i got a DeFi crypto portfolio manager it's a little bit unique uh senior contract uh blockchain uh developer i got a couple of those roles uh right now i think those are gonna be more popular moving forward and so if you actually need a job right uh you you go to blockchainrecruiters.net or you find me on Twitter's the easiest way to find me because no matter what I'm doing, I'm, I get my Twitter ping, right? I'm the BTC recruiter at the BTC recruiter. And also, I'm just going to let Jeff uh, talk a little bit more about his offerings. Tell him, Jeff. Uh, I don't always have guests that actually have offerings. Now, I, I can get paid if you want me to find you, Jeff. I can bring Jeff and his team and I can take I can take a cut like Western well, Union. At the current moment, we're kind of a little bit overbooked, uh, so I, I don't want to make a big <laughs> pitch out there. Okay, but, uh, uh, call, yeah, call me if you want, more, Jeff. Call me if you want, that Jeff. Sounds like you need to add to your yeah, team. Exactly, exactly. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so if you're looking to do uh, smart contract development, smart contract audits, uh, basic uh, blockchain development, including DApps, <laughs> decentralized applications. Uh, then, uh, yeah, please reach out to David and then he'll, he'll get a hold of me and we can work out uh, how you can get some uh, code written. Yeah, I'm his handler. So anyhow, that's, this has been so good. Very enlightening. Yeah, so good. And uh, I mean, David here, he's speechless. Right? Uh, and as you can tell, he's the big talker between the right. two of us. I need to talk less. <laughs> yeah, man. We couldn't get a word in edgewise. Yeah. Anyhow, David, is there anything else you want to say? No, thank you so much. It's been, it's, it's really been enlightening. Jeff, just la last words. Uh, just... How do you see blockchain, Bitcoin, crypto, dApps, DAOs, NFTs? How do you see all of this changing the job market in the world? And for our listeners, you know, just 
Just your own own opinion based on your well, experience. Well, yeah, maybe I can make like an eighteen month prediction in terms of the technological change. I think we're going to see. Okay. Um, so I we're summer of twenty twenty one right now. Yeah, we're summer twenty twenty one. Say they, by the end of next year, uh, I think we're going to see movement away from Amazon Web Services. If you're familiar with the cloud providers, yep, that's all going to start going on top of crypto fog infrastructure instead of cloud infrastructure. New technologies like Dino are going to be making that happen. New offerings in the cryptocurrency space to pay for these services are going to make that happen. And I think the big thing that's going to probably start next year is we're going to see bots, robot technology, paying other bots in cryptocurrency to deliver all these computing services. So that's I think that will be a huge change over the next 18 months. And then uh, the other thing that I think is going to be uh, uh, coming out in a big way is uh, it, it already kind of has, but there's something called zero knowledge proofs. That tech, that's a technology that allows you uh, to prove that you've done something, that a, an actor has done something in their system. And then a, um, a verifier outside of that system can doesn't have to know the uh, private knowledge going on inside uh, in order to make that proof. And that there's things called multi-party compu- computation and new wallets like Loopring and a bunch of these technologies that are, that are now using, um, or I should say, that are leveraging the zero knowledge proof style of things that not only will they make the network much more secure, hopefully we won't see nearly as many cybersecurity faults as a result of that. But the other thing I think that we'll probably see is is a movement, hopefully for regulators and governments to feel more comfortable with crypto. Which uh, will bring- that can be leveraged. Which will bring ransomware to uh, the industry of the buggy whip. Ransomware will be gone. Yeah, hopefully ransomware will be gone. And uh, there's a really good book by George Gilder called uh, Life After Google. And he makes the point that if you look at the existing centralized systems and this, what's you know referred to roughly as surveillance capitalism, it's all been built on a, uh, on a poor fa- foundation. Uh, that instead what we should be doing is, um, is leveraging a, um, a new foundation, which includes those zero knowledge proofs and a better overall security architecture using blockchain. Sorry, I got a dog in the background. No, no, we love dogs. Jeff Turner, Bitcoiner since 2011. Put his put his uh, social up there. That's right. And I really want to give a big shout out. I haven't been doing this enough to George, our engineer. Thank you so much, George. You were great. Oh yeah, no problem, brother. Great. And of course, David Hampton, the Robo Recruiter. He's a machine, everybody. And of course, how could I forget me, David James, the Job Whisperer. And remember, everybody. Get whispered.